RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Dr. Naomi Wolf has been on our radio station twice already back in May. And more recently on this program at the end of August, we were talking then about the COVID pandemic and the increase in totalitarianism in the UK and worldwide. And she joins us again. Dr. Wolf, thank you for making more time for us. It's, it's great to have you back. It's always great to speak with you. Thanks for having me back. Okay, now, um, just to start off, last time we talked, I, one thing that you said kind of stuck with me, and I want to just mention it again, and I can't remember the exact wording, but it was something along the lines of, in the context of totalitarianism globally, et cetera, that some kind of darkness had fallen upon the planet. It was something like that anyway, and I, I remember that. And and it comes back to me now because I think we've kind of gone to the next level since then. People are really? talking about World War Three, So... Mm-hmm that darkness seems to have got more intense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, gosh, I don't really know how to say this. I, I try never to get too swept up initially in the launch of a new crisis in the global media, because, you know, everything from the global war on terror to the yellow cake, uh, claims um, to, you know, the weapons of mass destruction, uh, like, you know, January 6th, the steel dossier, you know, on and on and on, it all falls apart or diminishes over time. And I'm not, you know, downplaying that October 7th involved horrible atrocities against innocent civilians. It did. I'm not downplaying the fact that the, the attack on Gaza involves horrible atrocities committed against civilians, it does. What I guess I'm trying to say is that whenever there's global branding of of how we should feel about given historical events, there's an agenda. And so what I'm hearing is that the evildoers who have tried to take away all of our rights three years ago and haven't been as successful as they hope to be, satisfyingly, because people like you and me have fought back effectively, um, they are now turning to the global war card, essentially, and the the World War Three card. And, um, you know, if it's not going to be COVID and it's not going to be climate change and it's not going to be Ukraine, uh, well, God damn it, you know, we'll beat you into submission with World War Three. So I, I guess the reason I say that is that I think people are very unsophisticated about conflict. And <clears throat> I've been in a lot of conflict areas as a journalist. They're all horrible. I wouldn't wish them on anyone, but how can I put this? All around the world are conflicts taking place that if you were to document them and beam the horrors around the world, it would seem like the worst possible thing that could ever happen, right? But we're completely ignoring them. We're completely ignoring, you know, Sudan and we're completely ignoring, um, so many conflicts around the world. Mm But uh, so so I guess what I'm trying to say is everyone just needs to calm down, in my view, and take a breath and advocate for diplomacy (laughs) and the rule of law and um, not get swept up into what is clearly a planned um, manipulation of populations into tribalist frenzy, um, because that's always a distraction you know, meanwhile, the WHO is trying to get us to sign a treaty, you know, signing. Well, I noticed you put that up on uh, on Twitter that uh, yeah. kind of like a misdirection while that's happening. 
look over there. Yeah. And, and also like this too shall pass. Like, I mean, I remember, God, it's so reminiscent of uh, 9-11 because I, you know, I live, I lived at that time in lower Manhattan, like 11 blocks away from 9-11 people outside of New York, interestingly, were losing their minds, Mm. losing their minds. And we've got to attack. We've got to make war. We've got to take the fight to them. We were so worked up. We invaded the wrong country. Right. And, and a hundred thousand people died in Iraq and, you know, I think three or 4,000 American uh, soldiers to, to avenge an attack that cost 3000 American lives. So I'm not, and it was the wrong country, right? They weren't the ones who had done it. So I guess where I'm going is I remember thinking, you know, these images are horrific. The collapse is horrific. The rubble is horrific, but it's just another conflict area, you know, like not to minimize it, but all around the world, people die, buildings are leveled, horrible things happen. There are atrocities not to ever minimize it, but the thing to do when there are atrocities is calm down and negotiate and not get swept up into even more bloodletting, even more hysteria. And the last thing I'll say before I pause is when there is this uh, kind of hysteria and this um, kind of group uh, dynamic of whipping up, you know, violence and hatred and sectarian hatred, what always happens in the West is it's a pretext for cracking down on our liberties. So in England, people are being arrested for criticizing Palestinian protests. And on college campuses, other people are arrested for not criticizing Palestinian protests, (laughs) you know, or like, you know, there's a third rail everywhere in the West now as a result. And, and, you know, there are some States in America where contractors can't criticize Israel. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's madness on, on both sides, but the bottom line is our freedoms of speech, our civil society is always the target ultimately for, you know, the, the, um, like the secondary consequences of a, a conflict over there. So that's why I'm always telling people to please calm down and practice peace. Seems to to me that um, there are two sort of camps. There are those who've picked a side, and those who are saying, mm, "Don't know what to make of this." Um, mm. And the images have been extraordinarily gruesome, mm. particularly in this case. So I guess that's a yeah. a factor of technology, but that's forced people very quickly into taking a view, hasn't it? That well, they call it atrocity propaganda, atrocity porn. I mean, but it doesn't force anyone. That's a choice people are making. You know, I intentionally skip looking at the atrocities because in my feed, because A, they're very traumatizing. Like I know what that does to people's mental health. And uh, especially if they've had trauma in their background, it just triggers them and triggers them and floods them with adrenaline and, and make you know, fills them with anxiety. And, and then the only kind of release for that anxiety is a projection onto some scapegoat, right? Um, so that's bad for you. And also, <laughs> yeah. we don't know, like nine tenths of those images are not verified. We don't know. Like it's as bad or worse as we've seen. No, well, doubt. I think and even I- computer games graphics have been used in some. Uh, they look very realistic and people are saying, great, you got them there. Someone comes up and says, well, that's actually from a game. Yeah, but I guess how can I put it? I mean, I remember the the vilification of my reputation began in 2014 when there was this frenzy to get into Syria and there were all of these beheading videos, as you may recall. And I said, hold on a minute. 
these haven't been verified, which is very different from saying they're not real, right? Totally different. But yeah. I was just saying we've been verified. There's not been a forensic analysis of these videos. Where did they come from? And it turns out that a lot of the um, uh, horrific ISIS videos came from a CIA, you know, media shop, you know, yeah. in the United States. But yeah. but whether they do or not, the whole point is, I just, God, it's so awful that I'm saying this, but people have got to be less virginal about war. Like war is always ugly and horrible and grotesque and, you know, calm down anyway, right? Like you don't have to react like an animal when you see graphic images of war because graphic images of war are all around the world all the time. Yeah. You know? And, yeah. and they're not more real because they're in your inbox, you know? And so if you want to do something, do something for peace around the world. Just it, it's... I get so um, annoyed at people who live in safe, and then I promise I'll stop talking because this you've obviously. Well, you're here to talk, so that's okay. Set me on edge with this one, but I guess you know I've 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 lived in war, and and I yeah. was a child in during the '73 war, and I was I was you know in bomb shelters when cities were being bombed, and I, I embedded with the IDF to southern Lebanon, and I traveled in the West Bank, and during the Intifada. And, you know, and I, I, I traveled with um, uh, humane organizations into Sierra Leone after their civil war, while there was still quite a lot of. Um, that was brutal, you know, wasn't it? Very, very brutal. Lots of terrorist occupied territory, lots of child trafficking, human trafficking, child soldiers, grotesque, horrible things, amputations. Boy. I, mean, I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is like yeah it's so frustrating to me to see people sitting in their at their computer consoles in pretty safe contexts in the West freaking out and getting that almost um vicarious adrenaline rush of witnessing an atrocity and then thinking how they're going to act out their feelings in reaction to it I'm going to go call Palestinians this or I'm going to go call Jews that and it's a very um, naive and I would say almost like, um, yeah, porn addict type approach to the fact that war is always grotesque and atrocious and that's not new. And and it's, it's not just happening in the Middle East, it's happening around the world. And it, it's not an excuse, like the fact that people are being killed is not an excuse for us to lose our civility and our humanity. It's a prompt for us to redouble our efforts to defend our civility and our humanity. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, no, it does. And do you see any effort being made? This is the thing that there's not been much effort in that area in what, what are we coming up just over a month now? Mm. I mean, people are desperately calling for, you know, talking and it's not happening, it seems. Or is it too early? Do these things have to go through phases before you get to that bit? They're calling for the for Israel and Palestine to talk. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, you're like, like ceasefires and diplomacy, and um, yeah, well, that would be a good idea <laughs> just to start with. But yeah. but it seems that that people are more motivated to fight. Is there a is there a danger in this one though because of the potential scalability of it? You know, you you could involve nations with tens yeah, of tens I, and hundreds of millions of people and yeah. religions and you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's always a danger with a conflict in the Middle East because it's always a potential 
tinderbox, you know, if Iran gets involved, if Syria gets involved, of course. But I guess the reason I, I sound so cranky, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to, it's not at you, it's it's at the situation, is that we no longer live in that world in which history unfolds spontaneously and organically. Um, So spiral out of control if the people who have imprisoned us for the last three years want it to spiral out of control. You know, it's all a game of chess, right? Like Hamas is organized out of Dubai, as I understand. Um, Okay. And, and has been funded by the United States. You know, half of Brit of, of Israel, if not more, is furious at Netanyahu and think, thinks he's a lunatic who's engaging in, you know, suicidal politics. I'm preoccupied with um, research I did in 2014 during the that siege of Gaza, in which I found that uh, there are energy companies that have already done a deal, Western energy companies, for very lucrative gas fields off the coast of Gaza. And so I was interested that the bombing at that time kind of cleared like almost a pipeline path, you know, to Israel, to to these gas fields. And and when, when I see like... I can't believe I'm talking about this. When I see directives like move the whole population that way, that's not normal war. That's not even normal management of refugees. Like when has that ever happened before in a conflict that you tell a whole population to decamp? The last time was 1948 with the Nakba. You know, I can't or or in the in the 19th century when we were taking Native Americans lands or maybe in New Zealand and Australia when they were taking uh, Aboriginal people's lands. But it's it's not a normal way to deal with a civilian population during conflict. And um, I keep wondering if the land that they're being told to abandon is related to uh, infrastructure to um, exploit those gas fields eventually. I don't know. But I guess what I'm trying to say is I no longer even want to get caught up in the theatrics of what's nominally happening with this one and that one and this side and that side, because always there are bigger players that, you know, are not issuing press releases about what their true intentions are. So we have we have no way of knowing who who the good guy is here. There is the good guy. I will tell you who the good guy is. The people in Gaza who just want to get their kids to school in the morning, and the people in Haifa and Ashkelon and Tel Aviv who just want to get their kids to school in the morning. Those are the good guys. Is there anything sort of weird about what it seems we're talking specifically about this about what happened? Your knowledge of the place. Um, and and kind of you know the timeline and things that have been said that sort of you know and you mentioned the you know the thing with the it's claiming the real estate move south that that sort of is weird about this that you know rings any alarm bells at all. I don't understand the questions. Well, okay, so um, they've talked about a delay in responding. Uh, obviously, Hamas must know that if you go and do what you did there, you're going to get the most awesome response right. that'll bomb you into oblivion potentially, which right. is a huge price to pay for your women and children in that area. Um, you know, what? why would you do that? Why would right. you wait that yeah. long to let it before right. you responded to it? It's the things like that. I think that's a totally fair question. And uh, as I'm sure you know better than I, a lot of Israelis are asking it. I mean... This is a dynamo military, uh, the IDF, and the border is under constant observation and surveillance. 
it doesn't make any sense that it took six hours to respond to an incursion. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't take, it doesn't make sense that people were able to come in through the, you know, over the border at all, you know, and not be shot down the way. Paragliders. Yeah. Motorized paragliders. Uh, they only it, do about 30 miles an hour. It, it does. It does not make sense. And, and it doesn't make sense exactly the way that we were having conversations after nine 11 about why weren't the jets scrambled to intercept, you know, these um, airlines that had been taken yeah. over by terrorists that it, it, it didn't make sense. Why were, you know, why had there been uh, exercises, uh, you know, I look, I'm not saying we know that something is a, um, what is the word? Not a false flag, but a, well, I think it is a false well, flag. Well, it's set up. Right. But I think, I guess what people have to understand is there are layers and layers and layers that are less dramatic prior to that, where it's not like, oh, you know, BB kept the border from being guarded intentionally, um, or, you know, Bush Jr. intentionally brought down the towers. There are layers that go like, everyone knows it would be good for defense manufacturers to have a terrorist attack. So maybe there's a deprioritizing of reading the bulletins about threats from the CIA, you know, week by mm-hmm. week, uh, fewer mm-hmm. resources go to that, or maybe things just sit on people's desks a little while longer in that area, right? There's like layers and layers and layers of inattention or redirection of effort and uh, energy and resources so that bad things that might not otherwise happen could possibly happen. And and it's no one, you know, doing a thing in a smoke-filled room. It's just... Um, like these groups of people at the highest levels, if the president or the prime minister says, you know, there we've really got to find a way to exploit those um, gas fields off the coast of Gaza, or, you know, it's really been our, our defense industry in the United States has really been in the doldrums since, you know, the end of uh, Desert Storm. Um Everyone knows what he said. <laughs> Everyone in the room knows what he said and what would be good for the administration. Uh, and, and that's very different from, you know, go bring down the towers. Yeah. You maybe look the other way momentarily here and there. And yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm just reading a tweet of yours back in Manhattan, which is more chaotic and decayed than ever. Tail end of the New York Marathon, streets packed. Uh, a group of young female college students chants from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. We've had that here as well. You say, much mm-hmm. as I grieve for civilian deaths on both sides, as a Jew, I feel a chill. That's where reality kicks in, isn't it? I mean, there are so many, rea- you know, that's a reality. Yeah. I mean, I guess. Well, okay, at I- our level, away from the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a bad chant. Right. Um, because where do like it's it's got genocidal implications mm. because the river is the Jordan and the sea is the Mediterranean and in between is Jewish Israeli Israel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's also an a historical chant. I wish people knew this. I mean, on all sides, because a Palestinian owned Palestine was not Palestine before 1948. It was the Ottoman Empire. And a lot of Arab absentee landlords and 
Jews and Christians and Muslims were living together mostly pretty peacefully in a colonial, you know, Ottoman Empire territory. Um, That's what was there. Um, So it's a fantasy that modern Israel is going, it can be wiped out and replaced with something that actually wasn't there, which was a nation state called Palestine run by the people we call Palestinians. Um, But and, and no one tells the story of the fact that like the the fake mythology is these peoples have never have been fighting forever since biblical times. And it's not true. They've been living mostly in harmony in that area of land called Palestine and then Israel for hundreds and hundreds of years. Some flare ups of territorial, you know, conflict, but very few compared with other areas where different um, sects and religions live closely intermingled and a lot of a lot of contact like you're a very good listener because I keep like going on and on but this is really important there's a whole genre of photographs that are so beautiful um of of Palestine in the 30s and 20s and it was a modern the cities were modern right like Haifa was modern um and there were so many civic societies. There were like musician societies and choirs and photography clubs. And, and it, it was a multicultural, multi-ethnic modern society. And it was beautiful. Um, not at all the stereotype. Um, so that can happen again. So I guess what I'm trying to say is the Palestinian side is constantly propagandized by people who want Palestinians to always be in conflict with Israel because it serves a lot of geopolitical purposes on the Arab side, right? Otherwise, they would have been absorbed into Jordan, as many of them were, into Egypt, which hasn't taken them, you know, into into Lebanon. Um, Or uh, there would be more attention paid by their leaders to building up civil society in Gaza and the West Bank um, with the money that they get, the aid money. Mm. But that's not what people are being propagandized to do. And also, understandably, it's hell living in Gaza, right? Or the West Bank, because people are arrested, you know, journalists are arrested, civil society leaders are arrested, people are surveilled. You know, it's it's all, all the things that could create peace. Those institutions are targeted according to Palestinians. And there's evidence for this by the IDF. Um, on the other side... You know, Jews around the world and Israelis are propagandized to see all Muslims as hate-filled, anti-Christian, anti-Jewish, which is not true. They're one religion in Islam. Um, And to especially see Palestinians as people who want to wipe them out. And once you have been persuaded that everyone in Gaza, everyone in the West Bank wants to wipe you out, it's very hard to have a productive... Yeah, especially when you see those images too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, that's not, like, that's a tiny minority of crazy people, just like, you know, just like the guy who, uh, I think, opened fire at the Dome of the Rock some years ago, some, mm-hmm. or you know, crazy Jew, is is a minority and not representative of all Jews. I'll stop there. Okay. Um, with your knowledge of the area and thinking about it and seeing what's been happening, uh, is there any way to sort of like sort this out? Sounds like a sort of like a bit of a silly Honestly, question. But in yeah, the end, that's what needs to happen, right? Sort it out. 
Yes, I guess like the, honestly, I think the best thing everyone else in the world could do is stop paying so much attention to it and, and tend to their own decaying democracies and the violence in their own societies. I'm not kidding. Um, Sure. It should be sorted out, but they've, you know, the Israel has diplomats, Palestine has diplomats, Jordan has diplomats. Um, The, the the thing that whips it up, including sending money for arms, is is global attention on both sides, right? Yeah. And if this small part of the world could be left by the rest of the world to their own devices to work it out as a you know small regional conflict, um, th- that would help a lot. Like if suddenly no one paid attention to what was going on in Israel and Palestine, except for pressure for everyone to obey the rule of law, meaning leave civilians out of it, right? That pressure has to always be there on both sides. Um, Then it's much more likely that peace could be negotiated much more quickly. Um, Little countries like ours look to the USA for that sort of lead and, you know, allies of decades and decades. Is your country capable now of fixing something like this? I mean, we look at your president <laughs> um, and, you know, and, and what's been happening in Ukraine. And, I mean, we're not looking at that so much now as well. It's another thing we're not looking at closely. Um, does the U.S. still have have a role anymore in, 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 in creating peace, keeping the peace? I think one reason this um, conflagration escalated so quickly out of control is the weakness of the United States. Uh, It's so interesting that President Bush, whom I was really conditioned to deeply hate, uh, kept that region peaceful for his entire um, administration and uh, achieved the Abraham Accords, which... That's Trump. Yeah, it's Trump. Did I not say Trump? I think he said Bush, <laughs> but oh, that's dear. okay. That all dissolves into one after a while anyway, I suppose, a bit. In time. Yeah. Um, but um, I think that Biden is seen as weak, and he is weak. And as you and I have discussed, he's, in my view, um, hostage to China and globalist forces. And China's a big player in that region and and aligning with Assad, the Saudis, which is really scary. Um, and President Biden is doing things like insulting the Saudis, you know, which they don't forget. And so there's a, a very dangerous, um, I mean, if you've got China and Iran and the Saudis aligned with Russia, that's a very big, scary geopolitical r- realignment that, you know, with a weak United States, bodes hopelessly for the West and and for the ideals of the West. You know, that it's very hard to come back from that if they all It it feels like we're crumbling. Yeah, it does. Which is amazing because there's no need to. Right. Yeah. Okay. They want us to. I mean, that's been the goal, right? And if you feel like we're crumbling, then the messaging wants you to feel like we're crumbling. Yeah. Yeah, good point. But, but, I mean, these things, it's like a vicious circle, right? Because we used to have the reputation for being 
strong and noble and altruistic and virtuous and um, a good ally. And so we were strong and noble and virtuous comparatively. I mean, we did horrible things, of course, and a good ally. And and that kept the world in the kind of order that um, actually seems like a pretty good idea in retrospect with Western Europe and North America and Australia and New Zealand being um, kind of more the deciders than Russia and China and Iran. It, those were the days, right? <laughs> yeah, that might have just been an anomaly, you know, like a rare thing that can happen. Who knows? We should have, we should have protected it. It was, it is rare. It's so rare to have civil society, free speech, liberty, um, in, in, let alone, you know, be in a superpower role with those ideals. Uh, it's yeah, it's bad. Um, hmm. I don't think under this administration, the world is going to do anything but. Uh, collapse into further chaos. It's going to take a change of administrations to put the brakes on. Let's leave it there. Thank you so much for coming on our radio station again, Dr. Naomi Wolf. Hopefully we can talk again. And I think um, plenty of people will agree with what you said. Try not to pay too much attention to it. Take take the, yeah. Thank you. May I mention, I have a new book being published tomorrow. Go. Thank you. Give us the title one more time. Sure. Facing the Beast, uh, Courage, Faith, and Resistance in a New Dark Age. And it's about exactly what we've been talking about and what we talked about in the last couple of conversations. Who is the beast? Just got to ask. Who is the beast? You have to read the book to find out. All right. I will. Okay. (laughs) The beast is in us, my friend. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's that's, well said. All right. Well, thanks for your time again. And um, I look forward to chatting again some other time. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.